You're listening to a podcast from Columbia Christian Fellowship in Columbia, Pennsylvania. Our services are weekly at 10 a.m. We hope to see you there. Today's one of those 1 Peter 4.12 Sundays. Don't be surprised at the fire trial that has come upon you as though something strange were happening. The hardest thing to do in times like these when we have so many people sick, you can turn around and see the empty pews. And when we receive news about our brother Ray. The hardest thing to do is to press on. The intention of Satan in all of this is that we would not press on, but that we would give in and we would give up. But we're not going to give in. We're not going to give up. We're going to battle on. Would you say that with me? Battle on. Again, just keep saying that. Battle on. Battle on. Battle on. We will not give up. And we will not give in. Sickness is not a friend. Sickness is an enemy. Scripture made that very clear. We're not to give in to sickness. We're not to embrace sickness. We're not to allow it to have its devastating consequences. We're to battle it to the end. Sickness is an enemy, and we battle it to the end. So we're going to, we're going to go on today. The last time that we spoke, we're in this study through the book of Acts. Tremendous moves of God were happening, like we saw last week, and we're seeing in our nation. And there's a verse in in Colossians that says, Many effectual doors of ministry have been opened to me, and there are many adversaries. You need to know something, and don't take this for granted. When God is working mightily, the enemy is working mightily too. Actually, usually the enemy is working mightily because God is working mightily. God initiates a move in the earth, and the enemy counters that, and that's what this COVID thing is all about. God has tremendous plans to bring in a huge revival, awakening, and harvest in the land, and Satan is countering that, and we're caught in the middle of it. But we're called by God to take a stand, not to lay down and give in and say, oh my, look how bad it's gotten. If we do that, it's going to get worse. In the book of Acts, they were seeing God do tremendous things, and there were many adversaries, and some of them even lost their lives. This is no game that we're involved in. Do you understand that? When you signed on with Christ... You signed on to battle. You signed on to war. You reap all the benefits of knowing Christ. But in this life, before we get there, this is battle. This is war. This is not our rest. That's our rest coming. This is not our rest. The last time we spoke, we saw that the believers in the book of Acts were on the move. Just by means of refresher, Peter and his companions were on the move. 
We saw that God called Peter to Cornelius' household, and we know what happened there. As Peter was saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. They heard them speaking in other tongues and praising God. The gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles, evidence that those listening to Peter's message had believed and they had trusted Jesus for salvation. The gospel had now penetrated the, the, the Gentile world. Gentiles, non-Jews, now coming into the kingdom, part of the family of God and the church. Fast forward to Acts chapter 11. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord, just as with Peter. The power of the Lord was with these believers who were on the move. These are the ones that were scattered by the persecution in Jerusalem. There was evidence of his favor, and, and his approval was with them. He was pleased with them, their obedience to take the message of the kingdom to all nations. And it brought about an amazing result. A large number of Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. In other words, a huge harvest, a large number of lost souls came to know Jesus. But they were Gentiles, not Jews. That could be a problem. Gentiles were now coming to Christ and they were flocking into the church in droves. Revival was breaking out in the Gentile world. Glory to God, right? You would think. However, back in the church at Jerusalem, remember the church at Jerusalem? Well, I'll, I'll refresh your memory in a moment. We're going to have Deborah come. We're going to stand together. She's going to read Acts chapter 11, 22 through 24. And then we'll move on. News of this reached the church. Hold on a second, Deborah. Ron, will you turn on the orange mic, please? It is. Hello. Testing. Okay, you're on. Thank you. Wow. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Thank you, Deborah. You may be seated. The title of today's message is Critical Mass. Critical Mass is technically a term used in physics and refers to the least volume of nuclear material that's needed to cause a reaction. In general conversation, we use critical mass to refer to any tipping point or any breaking point. If you add one more whatever to this thing, it's going to come crashing down or blow apart or something's going to happen. It's reached critical mass. In our context today, we're using critical mass to refer to a point reached when things are going to either go one way or another. And the question is, which way will they go? This should make more sense as we move through the message. The church in the book of Acts had reached critical mass. When the church at Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Here's this church in Jerusalem again. 
And God has a warning for us today. Here's this church in Jerusalem. The last time we talked about them a few weeks ago, we said, you know what, they're, they're not going to go away. That was back in Acts chapter 11, and it said this, Soon the news reached the apostles and other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of Gentiles, and you even ate with them, they said. For a number of reasons, the church in Jerusalem was not too crazy about Gentiles being a part of this move of God. When they received news of Peter's leading Cornelius' household to the Lord, instead of rejoicing with them, with him, they criticized him. Think about it. First, Cornelius and his household, now they're receiving all these reports back from, we talked about Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, they're receiving all these reports back at the home church, more and more Gentiles, and in the Jewish mind, unfortunately despised Gentiles, are coming to know the Lord. In their minds, when is this even going to stop? And it's not going to stop. Because Jesus said this gospel of the kingdom, salvation, eternal life in his name, will start in Jerusalem with the Jews, but it will be preached to the entire world. Every tribe, tongue, and nation will be brought into the family of God and into the church. It is not exclusively a Jewish thing. Unfortunately, the church in Jerusalem had big problems with that. The church at Jerusalem heard what had happened. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. When they heard this news report of more Gentiles being saved, added to the kingdom, brought into the church, they sent someone to check it out. They sent Barnabas to check it out to find out what exactly is going on and, and report it back. So just kind of a, of a fun question. They sent Barnabas to check it out. Why do you think they didn't send Peter to check it out? I know our minds are elsewhere, but think about that. The church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas instead of Peter. Peter was a big gun. Barnabas was no name. Why do you think they sent Barnabas to check this out? This is only speculation, but... Could it be they didn't trust Peter to give an objective report? In their minds, Peter had already been corrupted and tainted by the Gentiles, by his experience with Cornelius. Peter was one who was leading Gentiles to the Lord. They weren't going to trust him. They weren't going to send him back out there. They sent Barnabas, and hope, they hoped they would get the report they wanted from Barnabas, that this is fake, this is bogus, it's not really God. This is where God wants to begin to challenge us. We want to give that church some benefit of the doubt. It wasn't, most likely was not the entire church in Jerusalem. It was that segment that wanted to hold on to their Jewish exclusivity. They wanted to hold on to their man-made traditions. They wanted to hold on to their man-made rules and regulations. These are the ones that criticized Peter earlier. Remember, Scripture says when Peter explained it, they kept silent, but it never says they came into agreement with him. It was that segment at the church 
that had issues with the Gentiles. Listen, it was the believers that were steeped in legalism and self-righteousness. And this is the primary thing God wants to address with us today. Because there's going to be a crazy harvest coming through those back doors. People of all stripes. People who don't look exactly like us. People who don't think exactly like us. People who are bringing a lot of things with them that God hasn't dealt with yet. You know, the question we've been addressing for weeks is how are we going to receive them? So more on that legalism, self-righteousness thing later because it's the primary point of, of this message. But for now, they sent Barnabas to check this out. And how Barnabas responds is extremely crucial to this move of God. I, I, I need us to focus. I know it's hard to. It's hard for me to preach. Just quite honestly, I keep thinking about Ray. Ray keeps coming into my mind. You still need to focus on what God has to say today. How Barnabas responds, responds, the report he sends back to Jerusalem can make or break this move of God because right now they're at critical mass. Barnabas can make or break it. He can send this move of God in one direction. It can thrive. It can press on. Or he can send it in another. It will all die. It will stall and die. Here's a question for you. Try and engage. How would you like to be Barnabas? All this rests on his shoulders. How would you like to have that role? How many would like to have Barnabas' role at this point in time? Truth is, we are Barnabas right now, and we do have that role. What? Right now, we, the church, have a Barnabas ministry. We're at critical mass. In this move of God in our generation and in our nation, it has now reached us. We've seen it coming from the West Coast eastward, and it now hit us. Last week was not an end. It was a beginning of this move of God in our area. That's just one example. Now how we, the church, the ecclesia, respond can send it in one direction or another. If you were there or you saw the video, you saw the multitude of people up at the stage praying. Some to receive the Lord. Some to recommit to the Lord. Some to be delivered from various things, including addictions. All those people, that was real. That was not made up. You can't bring that many people together and bring grown men to tears. That wasn't the power of Sean or the other guy. Jay, thank you. He's the one I actually met. I should have known him. That wasn't the power of Sean and Jay bringing those people front. That was the power of God, like Art saw from Lancaster. Here's the question, here's the challenge, here's the problem. What next? What now? Where are all those people? Fortunately, we are so blessed to have Annabelle here today. She was at that event, 
And she was up front. Thank you so much for coming. What, what's going to happen to all those people? Are they just going to go back to that life that God's drawing them out of? And who's going to be there to help them not do that? I know whose responsibility it is. It's the church. It's us. Now, how are we going to do that? The first question is, are we willing to do that? That was a rhetoric question, but thank you. I'll ask it again. Are we willing to do that? I've been thinking about that, honestly, since the first Sean Foyt worship event that I saw, the question came into my mind, what is happening to all those people who are being touched by God at those events? Does Sean go on to the next city and they go back to their own lifestyle? What is gained then? That's what happened during the 60s Jesus Freak movement. Most of you are not old enough to remember that. I was old enough to remember, but I resisted Christ at that time and didn't get saved till later. But friends of mine, hippie friends of mine, were getting saved. The churches didn't receive them. And so at best, they're just hanging on to this faith. But at worst, most of them went back to where they were before. They were never discipled. I just feel in my heart, we can't allow that to happen again this time. Oh, that the church in America would have recognized God's visitation back in the 60s and 70s, but we didn't. Oh, that the church in America today, that's us, will recognize God's visitation and will rise to the call and will be there. That's a good place for an amen or a yeah or something or a preach it, Pastor. Thank you, Art. Well, let's see what Barnabas' response was to this move of God because he could have killed it by sending a negative report back to the Jerusalem church and told them, don't worry about this. It's a flash in the pan. It's not real. Barnabas' response, when he arrived... And he saw this evidence of God's blessing. He was filled with joy. He encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. His response was stellar. Praise God. You go, Barnabas. You were the man we needed. You were the man for the hour. I want you to notice four things, and they'll be quickly, except for one. One that we want to camp on. He saw the evidence of God's blessing. He did not go in critical. He did not go in ready to judge. He was open, and he observed, and he saw evidence of God at work. Somebody actually called a person in our church after the event last Saturday and said, well, did you have your minuscule revival out there? Very critical, very put down. How many people did you have? A hundred? Well, try 7,000 plus. How many people did you baptize? Couple? Try 40. But the negative, this is a, definitely a guy that I would say is a Christian, knows the Lord, and that was his attitude towards what happened out there. Barnabas went in with an open mind to see, wow, let's see if God is doing something here. 
I don't think anybody could have been at that event or watched the video since and disputed that God was at work. May not agree with everything, but nobody in my mind can dispute that God was at work last Saturday. So Barnabas saw the evidence of God at work. Now, of course, that doesn't mean everything was perfect. These Gentiles were not perfect. They were new believers. A short while ago, these Gentiles were heathens, and they were pagans. I have to smile. I love those words. They're, they're, they're biblical words that don't really mean anything to us anymore, but pagans and heathens, that's who they were. They did not know God. They did not know his word. They did not know his ways. They didn't know his will and how they were supposed to live to please God. They didn't know any of that stuff. But now, were they perfect? No. But there was evidence of God's blessing. And that's what Barnabas looked for. Is there evidence of God's blessing here? Evidence of God at work. Was God drawing them to himself? And Barnabas concluded, yes, he is. And that was important to Barnabas. He saw the evidence of God's blessing. Point number two, we're going to camp on. He was filled with joy. When he saw evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy. Quite a contrast between the response of Barnabas and the response of the Jerusalem church waiting for Peter after Cornelius' incident. The church at Jerusalem, they were not filled with joy. They were critical. We heard you associated with Gentiles. You even went into their homes. You even ate with them. Ugh. Can you believe that mindset? Ugh, Charlie Brown, that's right, ugh. You know what it reminds me of? Now listen to this, because you're going to say ugh. It reminds me of the time Jesus healed the man with a crippled hand on the Sabbath, made him whole. Instead of rejoicing in the man's healing, the Pharisees accused Jesus of violating the Sabbath. Ugh. Of working on the Sabbath. Ugh. You'd rather see this man continue to suffer than allow Jesus to heal him on the Sabbath. Important note for us. Listen up. There are two killers on the loose. There's two killers lurking in and around the church, wanting to stop this current move of God. They were alive and well back then, and they're alive and well today. Legalism and self-righteousness. Legalism in our context today is this. Thinking that you're holy because of what you do or don't do. Thinking that you're holy because of some human standards of behavior that you have set up. Man-made rules and regulations. The I don't do this crowd, so you shouldn't do it either. Self-righteousness is arrogance and smugness in thinking now you're more holy because of your legalism. You're more holy than somebody else because of what you do or don't do. I hate to burst your bubble, but you're only holy for one reason. That's because the Holy Spirit dwells within you, and he produces holiness. 
Warning. Warning. Warning, Will Rogers. Again, that's an age joke. You've got to be a certain age to get that. Legalism and self-righteousness knows no joy. You know anybody that's legalistic and self-righteous? They are not a joyful person. They're not. It's hard to be around them. Legalism and self-righteousness are killjoys, fun suckers. Legalism and self-righteousness, always miserable, always angry, Always critical of others, always judgmental, always negative, always accusing, always offended. I hate offense. I hate when Christians get offended. Well, you know what he did? When you became a Christian, you gave up your right to be offended. Self-righteousness gets offended. Humility is never offended. Never. Legalism and self-righteousness cannot rejoice in another's blessing unless it exactly fits their mode and their standards, of course. Legalism and self-righteousness could not rejoice that pagan and heathen Gentiles were now getting saved and being brought into the family of God and into the church. Legalism and self-righteousness, they think they know God's ways. Pharisees, Sadducees, church in Jerusalem. And they think that everybody else must conform to their understanding of God's ways. And if you don't, at best you're not as spiritual as they are. At worst, you're not a Christian. People, I want you to hear me. Legalism and self-righteousness in the church will shut down a move of God, will shut down a move of the Holy Spirit very quickly. And we need to be very careful in these days ahead. And you say, well, you know what? I don't really think I'm that legalistic. I don't really think I'm that self-righteous. Well, God's going to point that out. Maybe you're right. But God's going to point out whether you are or not because the folks he bring in, brings in will bring that out of us if we're not careful. And my opinion is every one of us has some level of legalism and self-righteousness that has not yet died, that is not crucified yet with Christ. And that will be brought out. And it will probably come in a way that you least expect. And all of a sudden you realize, well, I was offended. I'm offended by that, by the way they are do or don't. Now, I want to clarify again, and I continually tell you guys this. We're not talking about compromising biblical truth. We never compromise biblical truth to get to an outcome. We never change the definition of sin to get to an outcome. But we love people, and we try and help them come into the standard of Christ and let him work in their lives and bring about a true righteousness Produced by the Holy Spirit. One of the things I loved at that event was when he, he called out a certain temptation. And he had people raise their hands if they, if they had that, if they struggled with that temptation. 
and people raised their hands. And then he had others gather around them and just hug them and love them. And he said, listen, I don't want you to rebuke anything. I just want you to love them. And I thought, that's wisdom from God. That is so powerful. Because you know us. We're not legalistic or self-righteous. But we were in there rebuking that sin and rebuking that demon off of them instead of making them feel loved and cared for and letting Jesus take care of that in their lives. How are we, this is the question for us moving forward, how are we going to respond as a church to the amazing, out of the box, out of our comfort zone, that's a tough one for me. I'm old enough now that toys of the world don't interest me that much, but don't touch my comfort and convenience. How are we going to react to the out of the box, out of our comfort zone, out of our control, actually off of our agenda? How are we going to respond to the things that God does in our midst in these days ahead? How we respond is going to be critical. Do you have something to say? Stand up and say it good and loud. Ron, will you turn on the orange mic, please? Talk right into the mic because otherwise we won't hear you. Uh, Romans 14 speaks to this. And it says, except other believers who are weak in faith, don't argue with them. Or what they think is right or wrong. For instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. For God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think one day is more holier than the other day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. I think it's pretty clear what God's saying to the church about new believers. Thank you, Jamie. Very good. Amen. A believer or a church that's steeped in legalism and self-righteousness cannot enjoy revival. Actually, it cannot receive revival. It will turn revival away at the doors. Too busy looking for faults in the people coming in. Are we going to accept them? Well, let's, let's check it out. Too busy looking for things that aren't right. Right according to our man-made standards, of course. Things that don't measure up, not necessarily to the biblical standard, but to standards, that's we've, standards that we have set in place, not necessarily God's standards at all. And I'm telling you right now, there will be plenty of faults 
and there will be plenty of things to find if this is our attitude when the harvest comes in. Revival is messy. Life is messy. And we need to keep our eyes on what God is doing in the midst of the mess, not on the mess. You know, God does things like saves pagans and heathens and then brings them into the church just to see how we'll react. He saves sinners. He, he doesn't have to save the righteous. They're already saved. He saves sinners. That means when, they, when people come here, many of them will still be steeped in sin that he hasn't dealt with yet. How could they? There's been nobody to teach them yet. My heart kind of breaks for the thousands of people that responded to that call last Saturday, and where are they now? And who's teaching them? Who's helping them to come to know Jesus and what Jesus wants from their life and the plan that he has for them? Who's helping them with that? How do you even do that? Leaders in the church, this is something we have to consider. We don't even know who they are. We know one, two, were you both there last week? We know two people that are here. Two out of thousands, we need to be asking the Lord, what do you want from us? How can we help? What can we do? Barnabas ministry. He saw the evidence of God moving in their midst, in the midst of all the messiness of Gentile life. Pagan and heathen practices that they were steeped in, they did not fall off overnight, just like a lot of yours haven't, just like a lot of mine haven't. They don't fall away just because you now accepted the Lord or made a commitment. That's just the beginning of the journey. But when Barnabas saw that God, evidence that God was working, this initial evidence, he was filled with joy. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> This is the response of one who is more concerned for the work of God than their own stuff. Again, church, be forewarned. The harvest is going to stretch, and it's going to challenge us, and we can make or break at least our role in it. We can make or break that with how we receive the harvest, how we respond. Two more points real quick. He encouraged the believers. He encouraged these new believers. He didn't, did not rush in rebuking. You know, now you say you're a Christian, you can't be doing that. He rushed in exhorting and encouraging. He could have come in guns blazing. You need to start doing this. You need to stop doing that. You need to conform to this. You need to measure up to that. But it says exactly the opposite. There's only one piece of advice that's recorded. There's only one piece of advice he gave those new believers, those new Gentile believers. He advised them to stay true to the Lord. Stay true means two things, the Greek word does. It means to persevere and continue on, to not give up. Don't give in, don't turn back. It also means to commit yourself wholly, wholeheartedly. This deserves your full attention. This deserves all of your energy, all of your resources. This deserves your life itself. That's what he told the Gentiles that were getting saved. Persevere, don't give up, don't turn back. Give this thing your wholehearted effort. Give it all your life. They had begun well, and all Barnabas did was encourage them to continue on and carry on. Verse 24, and then the application. Barnabas was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. 
and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now listen, this great number of people, that's different than the people in verse 21. This is verse 24. This is another great number of people that were brought into the church and into the kingdom. Barnabas' response allowed the work of God to continue unabated. It actually enhanced the work of God. God was pleased. Now not only will the work survive, but it's going to thrive. It's going to continue to grow and expand. This move of God reached critical mass. It could have gone one way or the other. It could have exploded, which it did, or it could have fizzled out, which it didn't. So I would say, praise God. The church in Jerusalem, probably very much unknown to them, they chose the right man to send. They were hoping Barnabas would bring back a bad report, and it went the opposite. The harvest is at the door. Next week, we'll look at what Barnabas does next, which is very interesting, and it goes into the realm of discipleship. But for now, we'll stop here. Um, We'll have the congregation stand. We'll have the band come forward and take your spots. Come quickly. (laughs) Just like last week, this is Bob coming quickly. (laughs) And Ron, are you on your way up here? Ron's going to lead us in prayer, and then we'll close out with worship. Justin's and his prayer groups and stuff were so important. We cover a lot of this stuff in prayer. So, Lord, we just lift this up to you, Lord. We just want to praise you and thank you, Lord, that this church is so blessed. We're so blessed, you know, for our worship band here, Lord. And I just lift them up because, you know, without Sonny and the lead, he's the worship leader, the lead guitarist. And, Lord, they and we had to redo a whole Father, we have, you know, the chaos we went through this morning, Lord, and we just praise you for that. And as we heard this message, Lord, you know, know, what what came to my mind right away is, is, you know, the Gentiles and the Jews. You know, on on October the 31st in 1517, Martin Luther nailed the 96 theses on on the uh, Germany church. And that would created Protestants. So, Lord, here we are again. You use the same event multiple times. And, Lord, we just want to praise you and thank you for that. As you prepare this church to bring in the harvest, as you prepare this church for revival, Lord, I mean, there's no man-made programs available to do this. We're relying on what the Holy Spirit's going to put in our hearts, in our minds, and, Lord, let the Holy Spirit just, you know, Bring us. We might be standing here nervous, Lord, but the second that group comes in, Lord, the Holy Spirit's going to say, boom, here it is. Mm-hmm. And, Lord, we just have to be patient. we got to be, you know, just seek your, seek your face and, and show us what to do. 
we just want to praise you and thank you that we do have a group of harvest workers. We have a group of kingdom-minded people here, Lord, and we just want to praise you and thank you for that, Lord. Well, you know, what's on my heart and what, what I was thinking about, you know, most of the message is the prayer for healing, you know, and I know we covered it in quite a few prayers, but Father, I, I know another prayer will, will, will help the cause, Lord, and we just want to lift this up, Lord. You know, there's many, many, many people sick, congested, coughing. You know, we think of Ray Kaufman. We think of, you know, Tanya texted me and Melissa last night that she was very sick. You know, we have Sonny that's sick. I mean, there's many people. I mean, I'm, I'm recovering. Melissa's recovering. So, Lord, did this ramp ramp of sickness coming over the, our church, over our church family, Lord, we ask you to rebuke yes, it. Yes, Father. Rebuke it. Yep. We want to bind, we want to bind sickness. Yep. We want to bind sickness in this yep. house. Yes, Father. We want to bind sickness in our church yes, family, Lord. in our extended church family, Lord. We want to bind that, yes, Lord, Father. because it isn't of you. In the name of Jesus. And, Lord, we just want to in the name ask of you Jesus. to take that sickness of darkness away. Yes, Lord. And, and rain down what what's in heaven is your love yep. your love will over will fill these people that are sick and, and jesus's blood that will you know heal every one of these people lord yes, we read about it we read about it what jesus did and he touched people they were healed we've seen you know the disciples go out and, and even the shadow and and it's not the shadow it's it's the holy spirit that was radiating out of peter yes. healed and Lord, we ask you, you know, give us that power to speak it out right now to heal yes, Father. every person that we healing have in, in Jesus' mind. name. Every power, give us, give us the power, Lord. Where we've been without power for so long, that Lord, that we need it, we want it, we crave it, Lord. And we just ask you to rebuke the illnesses. It says in Isaiah that Jesus came to take away our diseases yep. and sickness, yep. Lord. And we thank you for thank that, you, Lord. Father. And Lord, we just we glorify you, you, O God. If anybody is suffering, yes, Lord. If anybody is suffering from COVID, Lord, we just ask you to take that disease. Yes, Lord, drive it out. Earth, Lord. Drive it out. That, that, that disease is just drive it out. Fear driven. Yep. It's just driving people into fear, and fear is a spirit. It's not of you. And Lord, we just praise you, and we just thank you, Lord. We just bind this stuff. You know, you give us authority to bind and loose. Hear Lord. this prayer, Father. And Lord, we just bind this stuff in the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord. We decree it. Yes, Lord. Lord. We, 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 we just lift this up, Lord. I'm, I'm sick and tired of seeing people sick. And yes, we, Father. And we pray and pray and pray. And no more happens, suffering. Lord. No I more misery. You, Lord, for right now, this power to reach out to all the people. We're, you know, and heal them, Lord. We're lions. You know, we're right. We're, we're changing from sheep to lions. And yep. we're roaring. Yes. We're roaring. Yep. Yep. And Lord, we just praise you and thank you. Because everybody. We will not accept it. Hallelujah. that is ill. Is off the battlefield. Now, Everybody that's sick can, you know, they're, they're thinking of their illness over doing kingdom work. Yep. Their harvesters taken off the battlefield. That's right. And Lord, you know, we need every person we there is, Lord. So heal them so they can get back out there and do your work. Do you do what you have them called to do, Lord? So Lord, we just lift this up. And we just praise you, Lord. No more illness in this house. Hallelujah. No more illness yes, in Lord. our church family. No more Take a moment and shout. Hallelujah. Shout, Jesus is blood.
Thank you for listening to our weekly message. To connect with us, visit our website at blesscolumbia.org.